Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And here we are again. <laughs> back with March Madness Villains Edition. <laughs> it's about to go down. It really is about to go down. I think this is the more fun side of March Madness, just because we have so many powers at play here. Yeah, certainly more complicated, to say the least. I mean, I'm looking at some of these matchups, and I don't even know what kind of logic we're going to try to string together. (laughs) It's going to get dark. (laughs) We're going to have a lot of fun. Just some usual disclaimers. Idea inspiration all goes to the Dead Meat podcast. They have done March Madness on their podcast before. They're my favorite horror content creators. I've linked their episodes for March Madness in our description. So definitely go check theirs out. Also a reminder, there are no repeats from last year. We mentioned in our Final Girls episode that we were afraid that Esther was going to make it too far. So although there were some winners that made appearances in the second half of the slew of movies, we are not going to be covering any repeats from the first March Madness round. So no Michael Myers, no Esther, nobody from Suspiria. We have a large span of episodes that we're covering. So we're covering from episode 34, which is Hereditary, all the way up through 69, which is Candyman. We could not include everybody. Elise and I just had conversations on who we thought would be the most fun. And these are the folks that we decided on. So we're going to jump right the fuck into it. Let's do it. Our first division is the Cannibal Club division. (laughs) This is my favorite. Is it? (laughs) Well, right now it is. Right but now it is. who knows if that'll say the same. So our first matchup is the solar system family from The Hills <laughs> Have Eyes <laughs> against Steve from Fresh. Okay, so the solar system family. We have Papa Jupe, <laughs> lest we forget, who also comes with Mars, Pluto, and Mercury. Wow. Four cannibals living in the hills of the Mojave Desert. (laughs) Oh my god, that's four against one. Against Steve, who is this very white-collar plastic surgeon cannibal who sells women's body parts to rich people who want to buy and eat them. I'm sorry, I just think this one is really easy. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it has to be the solar system family. Yeah. There's no way Steve has the grit. Steve was very good at encapturing women, but the only way that he could really do that was by, like, drugging them with flavored old fashions. Good point. Whereas the solar system family really is pure brute force. Yeah, and they would totally beat his ass in a street fight. I'm happy with that. Okay, great. All right, the solar system family move on. Excellent. So the next matchup in the Cannibal Club division is Alexia from Raw. <laughs> oh my god. Against Sully from Bones and All. Okay, well, I know who I want to win. <laughs> Even though I hate both of these people, there's one that I hate more and who also has a disadvantage because he's a little older. And he has a weakness for pretty women. Mm. Alexia, I just think, will show up. She has that youth. She has enough cunning and smarts that she has learned in her short time of being a college cannibal. (laughs) A collegiate cannibal. She could use her pretty face as an advantage. I think she would just eat Sully up. 
Literally. Yes! Oh my god, did we just make record time? I think that was the record time for the amount of matchups in a division. Well, like I said last week, because all of these people have the same powers, I feel like Justine from Raw and Marin from Bones and All kept moving on because it's like, well, they're cannibals. <laughs> but all of these people eat people. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? Like, they're cannibals. Yeah, that's such a good point. Well, it's going to get tricky, I think, after we get out of our first division when we start mixing powers. and. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm having flashbacks to last year, and I'm ready. So that means our winners from the Cannibal Club division are the Solar System family from The Hills Have Eyes and Alexia from Raw. Moving on to the Mystical Beings division. (laughs) Our first matchup is a fun one. (laughs) We have Possessed George (laughs) from the Amityville Horror (laughs) versus Megan from Megan. (laughs) So... As Shay said, we had a conversation about who we were going to include, like who would make sense, who would make sense. And we were talking about Amityville horror, George, I don't know. But Shay was like, no, possess George. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. get him in here. (laughs) Possessed wood chopping Ryan Reynolds. Roided out Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) Against Megan, honestly, that's a really tough matchup. Megan, we knew going into this was going to be a really strong contender. And I think George is a really interesting first match. We know that he doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) And he is going to throw whatever he can at Megan. He does like abusing kids in his spare time. That is correct. He likes luring them off of the roof. Oh, no. Maybe that's little Jody. Uh, It was Jody who did that. Well, she's not here. He does try to chop his son's hand off with the axe at one point. That's right. And made all of his children coffins in the basement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he does not win Dad of the Year award. So he is being possessed by a Puritan minister, (laughs) (laughs) which honestly, like, that's some scary shit. It's scary, but also like very America, very United States of us. But then we have an android who's got all of the history of the Puritans. (laughs) She can Google that shit in her head and she's just got like robot strength. For me, this is what it is. It comes down to possessed George is chaotic. He's got brute strength, but no plan. Megan is always going to have a plan, whether she likes it or not. And I think that she would annihilate possessed George. Yeah, I think she'd just, like, rip his arms off. And, like, that would be the end of it. Or just be like, let us pray, and then rip his arms (laughs) off. (laughs) She would replace Jody. Like, she would be Chelsea's imaginary, not imaginary friend. Mm -hmm. And, like, turn all the kids against George, and then they would kill him. Like, that's something that she would be able to do. Yeah, I think that she could beat him in 17 different ways. (laughs) All right, it's Megan. (laughs) Okay, sweet. So the next matchup in the Mystical Beings division is Payman from Hereditary versus Candyman from Candyman. So here's my thing that immediately comes to mind is the Payman that we see from Hereditary needs a body to inhabit in order to do his payment thing. Yes. I guess in some ways Candyman needs that too, but we do see him using his own presence to wreak havoc. But he needs to be summoned. Ooh. Well, if we're in a street fight, could we assume he was summoned? Yeah, you're right. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, no, you're right. No, 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 no. But you're right. Like in, <laughs> in the sense of Payman exists irregardless of any urban legend where Candyman only exists when he is rumored about, mm. which I mean, you could make arguments about, but yes, we're assuming Candyman has to show up to the fight. So we're assuming he's summoned. <laughs> 
But Payman prefers a male body, but more often than not inhabits a lady body. That's correct. He's in Charlie's body for the first half of the movie, and then Annie's body, and then in Peter's body for like maybe a couple minutes. Payman's powers include twitching. (laughs) (laughs) Clucking. Clucking. And crawling around on the ceiling. Yeah, sawing their own head off. Candyman's powers include serious hook action mm-hmm. and sexiness. <laughs> yes. Also really powerful voiceovers. It's like payment is at the mercy of whatever body yeah. it's in at that point. Yeah, that's such a good point. If we're looking at like two people facing off, Candyman, we're assuming has been summoned. Like, how is Payment showing up? I mean, like, yeah. is he Annie Payment? Is he Peter Payment? Yeah, like, and honestly, I don't know if any of those people could stand up against Candyman with a hook who is not scared of anything. The only weakness Candyman shows is his lover, and she's not around right now. Is Charlie also allergic to bees? <gasps> Oh, yeah. (laughs) She's allergic to peanuts. She is allergic to peanuts. How many allergies does she have? Is she allergy prone? If she's allergy prone, could he just open his chest and then they're dead anyway? Yeah, it might be extra over. But even if it's Annie, I feel like Candyman could seduce Annie. Maybe. I'm giving it to Candyman. So that means when we return to our mystical being divisions, we are going to see Megan and Candyman fight it out. We prophesized this last week with Gemma and Helen. Oh my gosh, yes! So now we are at Elise's favorite division, which is the grown men division. This is my new favorite division. Thank you. Yeah, of course. (laughs) It was my favorite division last year, and Shay just reminded me that it is still my favorite division (laughs) this year. (laughs) Sorry, Cannibal Club. (laughs) So first we have Lambrick from Would You Rather. (laughs) That fucking guy. Up against Adrian from The Invisible Man. Lambrick is the game master in Would You Rather. He preys on poor people to compete in saw traps, essentially, Mm -hmm. for them to get the money for the resources that they need versus Adrian, who has an invisibility suit. And money. And money. And is very smart and just likes fucking with women in his spare time. This is what I think. Lamrick, he's smart enough in his own way as far as like manipulating people goes. But if it's just him facing Adrian, like Adrian has an invisibility suit. And he could just turn invisible and punch Lamrick across the face and call it quits. Yeah, honestly, when it comes to the brute force that Lamrick shows, it's mostly the help that's helping him. Good point. Like, it's mostly the butlers and shit that are really enforcing order. Plus, Adrian's already rich, so Lamerick wouldn't even have this I-can-give-you-money angle. And Adrian's also jacked. He's also a very True. strong man. So I feel like once Lambrick realizes that he had nothing to barter with Adrian, he would go down pretty easy. I agree. Adrian it is. Adrian it is. Now, this one I think will be interesting. The next <gasps> matchup in the grown men division is the man from Hush against the Fisherman. <laughs> oh my god! From I know what you did last summer. I love how you abbreviated the title I K W Y D L S. That's the really longest fun. abbreviation. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the longest movie title we have. <laughs> this is very interesting because these two, now that I'm seeing them in front of me, have very similar energies. They're both brutal. They both have a lot of mystery. They move in the shadows very anonymous. 
They're both taunting. They like leaving notes and little like signs that they were there. They do that. You're right. So the man, what weapons does he have? He has a crossbow and some natural strength, right? He's a strong guy. He doesn't seem like he's afraid. So he has some motivation to be scary. Where the fisherman has all of the motivation. He is very much mission driven. Because again, he is avenging his daughter's death. Maybe he's looking at the man. The man's relatively young. Maybe he's thinking, I hate you. I hate the youth. (laughs) (laughs) You young kids and uh, your damn phones. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I definitely think he could trigger that reaction from the fisherman. And at the end, I mean, the fisherman ends up getting like a hook for a hand, which is very candy man, which I'm very interested to see if those two end up facing off later. Will we see Will we see that love of hooks? But I do. I think you're right in the sense where I feel like the fisherman's more tactical. He has a lot of plans. Like we even see his little like vision board of how he's stalking everybody beforehand, where the man is very much more chaotic, where he was like, well, you were home. And while I think the man is brutal, I think he is foolishly cocky, which is why Maddie's able to take him down at the end. I agree. Whereas the fisherman, he comes back for a sequel. I think that just proves he has some staying power. We are saying the fisherman is the winner. So that means next time we return to the Grown Men Division, we will see Adrian from The Invisible Man up against The Fisherman from I Know What You Did Last Summer. So the next division we have is the Mean Girls Division. We have Pearl from Pearl, so young Mia Goth, versus Julie from Sleepaway Camp. They have some sass. And they are mean. Julie is the meanest. Pearl at least is humanized. You're right. Pearl, I think, has enough backstory where we feel sympathy for her. Julie is just a straight-up cunt. I'm sorry. (laughs) There's not a lot of redeeming qualities with Julie. It's hard when she has a side ponytail the whole time. And a shirt with her own name on it. Oh, yeah. I'm just jealous because I can never find a shirt with my name on it. That's it. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. I am just jealous. They're both jealous people. They're both very jealous people. Good point. But I feel as though Pearl is driven where Julie just wants what other people have, not because she actually wants it. Like, I think of her desire for Paul, and she didn't really want Paul until Paul was interested in Angela. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like Pearl has the follow-through. Like, yeah, she's jealous, like Julie is, but she'll kill Mitzi because of that. Like, I think Julie will just be mean and, like, talk smack. And I think in a fight, Pearl will 100% grab that axe and know what to do with it. She has the experience growing up on a farm. I don't think Julie would have that experience, and I think she would be smoked. Pearl killed her parents. (laughs) Yes. Her boyfriend. Yes. And her best friend. Yeah, that's correct. And who knows how many other people. Julie got killed with a curling iron. Which honestly, Julie, even though she is awful. She didn't deserve that. To this day, yeah. One of the worst kills. Pearl it is. Pearl it is. Congratulations, Pearl. I think we'll be seeing you again. So the next matchup we have in the Mean Girls division is Trisha (laughs) from Orphan First Kill against Chris from Carrie. Chris from Carrie is just like Julie. You're right. I literally listened to the Prom Queens episode to prepare for this. <laughs> and you literally said, I cannot wait to see her in March Madness because of how evil she is. Like, Chris is a very irredeemable character. And she kind of like Pearl has follow through. Like she tried to run Carrie over with her car. 
she'll do it. She threw tampons at Carrie in the locker room. She dumped her with pig's blood. She tried to run her over with a car. She wants to ruin this girl's life. Yeah. So she's up against Trisha, though. Who covered up the murder of her own daughter. (sighs) Yeah, that is also what I would like to call follow through. (laughs) That's a lot of follow through. That's a lot of I said something and I'm going to do it. And you play dumb to your husband for like four, five, six years that your daughter is missing when you know damn well that your son murdered your daughter. So here's my thing. Trisha's strength, it seems like, is the long game. It's the lying manipulation, play pretend. Whereas Chris is very much more overtly aggressive. And she is quick to act once she makes up her mind. Not that Trisha isn't, but Chris isn't afraid to, again, dump that pig's blood, run over Carrie with her car in these much more obvious overt ways. Yeah, you're right. Trisha's older and wiser in that way, but I do feel as though a lot of what Trisha does is tactical, but what Chris does is aggressive and actionable. Like, even though Trisha threatens Esther a lot throughout the movie, we don't see a lot of follow through. And obviously, Trisha dies at the end of Orphan First Kill. And while Chris dies at the end of (laughs) Carrie, she dies trying. Yeah. And also, Trisha, we do see her with some physical combat against Esther towards the end, but only after she, like, has the longest fuse ever in terms of her patience with Esther or the agreement that they've made. Like, I think if she was fighting Chris, I just don't know if she'd be able to muster the motivation fast enough before Chris would just be like, oh, you want me to fight this bitch? It's on. Chris? I'm scared of Chris. I am so scared of Chris. She is one of the scariest people that we have met so far in this podcast. Chris is moving on. (gasps) Chris versus Pearl. (laughs) (laughs) So next time we will be seeing, as Shay said, Pearl versus Chris. All right. Moving on to our witch bitch division, another favorite of the villains March Madness. We have Nancy from The Craft versus Bathsheba from The Conjuring. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where to begin? Well, first of all, we know if we're talking weaknesses, Nancy's cocky and she's young and experienced. Bathsheba is old. She's hundreds of years old. (laughs) What other weaknesses does she have? She cares way too much about making other mothers suffer. Bathsheba seems like she's only effective for a certain demographic. That's a good point. I mean, she has a population she likes to antagonize. I mean, like, yeah, she scared the kids in The Conjuring with, like, the clap game and everything like that. But the only real harm that she caused was to the mother, right? Yeah. And that's her story. Like, that's the story we find out is that she possesses the mothers to make them kill their children because she lost her children. Where Nancy killed Skeet, right? Yeah. And made Sarah's parents seem like they died in a plane crash. Like, that's what Sarah thinks for a while because Nancy put the plane down and everything like that. And Nancy has the power of persuasion. Yeah. She's able to bring a crowd. Like, she's able to, like, <laughs> scare other people into submission, where Bathsheba's very much a lone wolf. Yeah, she doesn't know how to please her audience. No. <laughs> I think while Nancy is young, I do feel as though she has that youthful advantage in being able to charm her way through most circumstances. And in addition to that skill, I also think magically Nancy seems to have more advantages. Like you mentioned that she can change forms. You know, she can do those summoning spells. Bathsheba, we only really see her like possessing moms and playing the clap game. So... I don't know. It just seems like Nancy has more of an arsenal of powers. I'm okay with it being Nancy. All right, me too. I'm glad for this. 
Bathsheba is scary as fuck and made me sob initially. You as my witness and many other witnesses, but Nancy, I feel like it makes sense for her to win. I'm pleased with this result. I feel like you're going to have a lot of fun with this next matchup, though. We have the Lords of Salem versus Elaine from the Love Witch. I'm sorry, but the Lords of Salem hate Elaine from Love Witch. They hate her. But I also feel like she's very easily manipulated by the Lords of Salem. I agree. Like, all they would need to do is tell her, Satan loves you. (laughs) And she'd be like, he loves me? Yeah, I agree. The Lords of Salem would definitely have to use Satan as like a bait because Elaine, we know, doesn't really respond to women like she does to men. But I agree. I think that the Lords of Salem, because they are smart and cunning, could totally just trick her into submitting before the fight even begins. Lords of Salem. Sweet. So that means we will be seeing Nancy from the craft versus the Lords of Salem next time we return to the witch bitch division. Our last division is the Sleep Demon Division. Oh my gosh. Our first matchup is Freddy Krueger versus the Lipstick Face Demon from Insidious. Tiptoe through the window. Oh, I said it again. I just said tiptoe through the window. It's tulips. Maybe I'll never learn. Um, Well, no, tiptoe through the window is a lyric in tiptoe through the tulips. Oh, is it? It is. It's just not the name of the song. Okay, that makes me feel a lot better. Excellent you got it. news. You got it. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Wow. Okay, so they both are powerful in dreams. Freddy Krueger can do a bunch of different things in dreams, like become a big worm. He did do that. He did. Or have really long arms. He also did that. Whereas the lipstick face demon just has a really fucking sexy pad with like long nails. Did I make that up? No, he looks like him from Powderpuff Girls. Yeah, I love that. So the lipstick face demon doesn't strike me as the fighting type. Mm -mm. He strikes me as the, I would rather look good and scare you from over here type. And Freddy does have the power to enter the waking world. Good point. He is still effective in the waking world with his little finger knives, where lipstick face demon is stuck in the further, like he can only interact with people who are in a coma. That's not to say that he is not powerful in his own realm, but because Freddy has the power to traverse hemispheres and because he has like built-in weapons in his hands that are better than the lipstick face demon, I feel like Freddy's got it. I do agree with you. I think both of them would be absolutely terrifying to encounter for me if I were to try to fist fight one, but Freddy Krueger seems to have the edge here in this matchup. The last matchup in the sleep demon division is the Babadook from the Babadook. <laughs> Versus Krampus from Krampus. Oh, nice. We love some titular demons right now. They're both demons that very much rely on a time in your life. <laughs> the Babadook is very much for grief-stricken people, and Krampus is for naughty children at Christmas time. <laughs> What's your first instinct? Like, how do you unpack this? This is hard. The Babadook it has like a possessive power. Whereas Krampus operates more on the outside. So he, first of all, has a lot of helpers, a lot of like jack-in-the-box worms and scary gingerbread warriors. And he can also make the weather very difficult to navigate. That might not matter to the Babadook. You know, the Babadook doesn't seem like it would care about the weather. It works internally. But he's very one-to-one. True. He is very one-to-one. Like he's working on one person at a time. Could the Babadook infiltrate Krampus's psyche? Hmm. 
because that I think would be the only way that he could do it. Cause we don't really see the Babadook have any weapons except for like a top hat and like fur (laughs) or like his ability to make people work against themselves. So like if it were a fist fight, would it have to be like Krampus fighting the Babadook in his mind? I mean, the only times we see the Babadook outside of Amelia's psyche is when he spiral spins into her mouth. Oh, yeah. And then in the basement when he's chained up and she goes down to feed him the mealworms at the end. But he's still aggressive and intimidating, like still able to like scare her down. You know what I mean? So his method of attack would have to be trying to infiltrate Krampus. Yeah. And like scare him. But I don't know that Krampus is intimidated by anything. Well, why not? He already is trying to destroy Christmas. And if he's anything like the Grinch, we know that the Grinch's heart is too small. And that's why he's so mean. So what if Krampus's heart is too small? Maybe he's already depressed. You're right. I just, (laughs) I almost see Krampus as if the Grinch kept going in that direction. You know, where it's like Krampus represents all that is lost already. Like, it's like trying to sympathize with the devil and being like, well, maybe his feelings just got hurt. Like, it's the devil. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, that's how I see Krampus. But I mean, I could be convinced. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think, too, because like Krampus keeps trophies. He keeps everybody in a little snow globe. I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like you see Krampus having this collection of trophies of which he's conquered, where Babadook is trapped in this basement and has been conquered by healing. But is Krampus mentally healthy enough to heal himself? (laughs) Because it seems like if he's the Grinch who's gone too far, maybe he's not. Maybe he has already succumbed to the Babadook. Is that crazy? I keep trying to picture these two in a fist fight, but it's so hard because the Babadook doesn't really ever appear physically. Exactly. I feel like the Krampus has more of a physical presence. But also, I do think you're right in that maybe Krampus is just past the point of no return so that it's like the Babadook would never really phase him. I just feel like the Babadook, it's very much like payment. It like is only susceptible to the people that are willing to receive him. Yeah. Where Krampus is almost reactionary where it's like, if you're bad, I'm coming for you. Yeah. You know, like that kind of thing. It's yeah. more physical in that way and more aggressive in that way. Yeah, I agree. I think that makes sense. I think that Krampus would just simply not receive the Babadook because he's already Krampus and he's already evil and bad. Plus, there would be a whole armory of people, or maybe I shouldn't say people, but things mm-hmm. that the Babadook would have to get through to get to Krampus. Which we might see in later rounds once he advances. And so that means that Krampus is advancing. Yeah, so next round we're going to see Krampus versus Freddy Krueger. Yeehaw! We are back to the Cannibal Club division, where we are going to be finding the winner, the Solar System family from The Hills Have Eyes versus Alexia from Raw. This is really hard. Because normally you would think, okay, four men against one woman, easy. I am not convinced because Alexia is terrifying and she's smart. In listening back to our Hills of Eyes episode in preparation for this, half of the solar system family's downfall is Beast the German Shepherd. (laughs) Literally, Beast (laughs) knocks Mercury off a cliff and then rips Pluto's throat out and brings a radio back from their camp to Doug so that he can hear their plans. If not for the German Shepherd, (laughs) the 
solar system family would have conquered everybody. The only reason that Bobby and Brenda stood a chance was because of the fucking dog. So it's like it's showing their power, right? Mm -hmm. But then you also see the character of Ruby. She is the sister of the solar system fam who is not interested in the cannibal club lifestyle. And she is able to trick her brothers and steal little baby Katie away and complicate their plans for them. So I'm wondering, Alexia being a cannibal, how well she would be able to trick them from the inside the same way that Ruby did. Yeah, she might. But we also know that Pluto is very sympathetic. He is a weakling for a pretty woman, as we saw with Brenda. I think they all are. I think Alexia is smart. And I think that because of that, she would be able to find some way to outsmart them. They're not very hardened threats. I mean, they do crucify Bob on a cactus. Yes. And set him on fire. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they kill Frank by stabbing him through a door. But I think that their main weapon in those cases is the element of surprise. Yes. And also like the naivety of their victims. With the exception of, I know, Papa Jupe's father. Like, obviously, he knows that they're coming, but he's just one guy. I feel like the family that we spend most of the time with, you know, they just don't know what to expect. Whereas I don't think Alexia would be so naive. I also see how, like, Alexia was teaching Justine how to, like, take advantage of resources when they were at the vet school and she was able to play stealth for a long time. So even if Alexia was captured, say, I feel like she'd find a way, whether it be create allies with Ruby or create romance with one of them. Alexia really does operate in the shadows. Like, that's when she's most effective. That's when she kills. I think Adrian is his name. Yeah, she's just unforgiving and ruthless. I just don't see Alexia going down that easy. No, and I just see because the solar system family is very disorganized, I think that she would be able to bring them down, even though it would be one against four. Alexia, it is. I am so scared of her, (laughs) but I think she deserves this. (laughs) So the winner of the Cannibal Club division is Alexia, and we will circle back to her later. So the next division that we have is back to the Mystical Beings division. We have Megan from Megan versus Candyman from Candyman. Against any physical person, I would be like, Megan has such an advantage that you cannot deny. Exactly. However, Candyman is not entirely physical. Like he has that metaphysical spiritual element to him, which I feel like the rule book isn't as clear. I'm just imagining Megan dancing the way that she dances and 1800s or 1900s Candyman not knowing what to do with that (laughs) visual, like him just like looking on and being like, what? They just come from two such different times. Like, would he be able to just use his hook and gouge her out? Or would she be able to just quickly use her brain to research his backstory and be like, hey, I know who you are and just antagonize him with his own story? I feel like half of what Candyman's appeal is, is his ability to seduce, but Megan is not human. Yeah, that's such a good point. She's not human. She, of course, is not of the age to be seduced and can't feel a bee sting. I feel like everything that Candyman could throw at her, like the only thing that he does have is physical strength. But you're not overpowering a robot. No, especially one that knows everything about you. No, like, I mean, yeah, he's 6'5 and powerful, but at the same time, like, Megan's taken down worse. She stood a chance against Bruce for a second, yeah, at least. that's true. Yeah, she would just be able to, like, research the legend and be like, I'm not going to say his name five times. 
Obviously, we or, know Candyman's showing up to the fight, but like, or like, I know you just miss your ex lover, bitch. Like, I feel like she could just verbally bully him into submission because Candyman is sensitive. I think physical, physical, like maybe he could survive for a while. But I think like once Megan gets a hold of those academic research thesis papers that are available on the internet, <laughs> like she's gonna rip his heart out. It's gonna J store the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's gonna J store the shit out of him. Be like, bitch, I found your sources and I've cited them all in my new thesis, which is your downfall. In the time that they would be physically fighting, she would write a new thesis disproving (laughs) his existence. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. She could also, as she's physically fighting him, she could be working to tell the world he's not real. Which would diminish his power. Megan. Oh, my God. I am very upset. But also, I'm not because how can I be upset with the logic that we just worked out? I mean, it's flawless. I'll miss you, Candyman. (laughs) Bye, Candyman. Back to the grown men division. We have Adrian from the Invisible Man up against the Fisherman from I Know What You Did Last Summer. This to me feels like daddy problems. Adrian is of one generation tech wizard, and the fisherman is giving very much father from a different time vibes. One relies on technology and, of course, some natural strength, whereas the other one just relies on absolute brute force. I also look at their motivations. Like, Adrian is a control freak who is misogynistic and hates women, but the fisherman is avenging his daughter's death at the hands of her irresponsible spouse. And just like the man from Hush, Adrian is also in the correct age bracket to trigger the fisherman. Exactly. (laughs) But one could raise the question, what good would the fisherman's hook do if he can't even see his assailant? It's very true. I don't see the fisherman as worldly enough to necessarily catch up with Adrian. If we think about where in the world they're coming from, like Adrian's probably from fucking Seattle or something like that. And the fisherman's in this weird beach town in North Carolina. The fisherman will probably assume that he's better than Adrian and smarter than Adrian. But I think Adrian knows exactly what he needs to do to beat most people. And could probably use that your dead daughter, you let your daughter die stuff, manipulate him emotionally in Mm. a way that the fisherman wouldn't expect. Yeah, I think that's a good point. As much as I freaking hate Adrian and there's something about the fisherman that feels nostalgic and fun, I just don't think that he could be Adrian. Adrian's a little too powerful. (sighs) Okay. We hate you. We hate you. So that means that Adrian is the winner of the grown men division. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. Back to the Mean Girls division. (laughs) Yay! We have Pearl from Pearl against Chris from Carrie. This is a great matchup. This is the most unhinged matchup I think we've had. I couldn't agree more. They both have follow through. Yeah. Yeah. They're nuts. Who knows what lengths they're willing to go to to get what they want. Chris, we've seen her use a car. We've seen her use tampons. Pearl, we've seen her use axes, pitchforks. That's the thing. I feel like Chris's motivations are a lot more psychological. Like she's very good at being able to embarrass people, like with the blood dump and with the plug it up sequence. Mm. Whereas Pearl will cut a bitch. Yes, that's correct. I think Pearl is also really interested in attention. So I don't know if embarrassment would hit Pearl as hard. No. Because she would be, as the extrovert that she is, getting her energy from the attention from the crowd. Like, I don't think it would hit as hard as it hit somebody like Carrie. 
And we see Chris as somebody who very much validates male attention. Pearl gets that. It's not like she's up against somebody like Carrie who's insecure. Like Pearl's not insecure in terms of what she can offer men and her sexuality and That's all of that kind true. of stuff. Like they're already operating on a very similar level of confidence. So I feel like Pearl's got that farm strength where Chris is just this high school bully and she would be able to cut Chris down to size. I think so too. Pearl. Pearl it is, baby. So the winner of our Mean Girls division is Pearl. Moving on to our Witch Bitch division, we have Nancy from The Craft against the Lords of Salem. So let's not forget that at one point, Nancy inhabited the power of Minot, which is earth, fire, water. A very all-encompassing air demon of sorts. (laughs) She did that. It's in one way we're looking at this like Nancy against four powerful women, but Nancy also inhabited the power of the universe. In the Lords of Salem, I feel like it was very easy for them to beat somebody like Elaine, right? Because Elaine wanted something. Mm. Nancy just wants power. I feel like what the Lords of Salem want is a vessel more than they want another strong wish to join their legion. I feel like Nancy's unhinged enough (laughs) where she would just keep doing these binding spells. She'd keep walking on water. And like these witches, while they're old and maybe you could argue perhaps more experienced, You don't really see them practicing a lot. It's a lot of just them... Like trickery and manipulation. Trickery and manipulation. Like that's really... And that's what Nancy does. Like Nancy does that to Sarah at the end with making her see all these bugs and shit. Well, I guess the Lords of Salem do that. Like at one point... Yeah, with like the surgical men and stuff. Yeah, like Heidi enters an apartment that turns into like a cathedral, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's some weird reality bending stuff going on there. Do you think that they would be able to just create a world for Nancy that she can't escape? Yeah, but she also has the power of Minot. Like, I feel like she could just zap them. Do we see the Lords of Salem ever exhibit any sort of powers of aggression? Like, yes, they can do some reality bending. They can manipulate. And of course, somebody like Heidi we talked about was in a particularly vulnerable place. Like, Nancy would not be coming from that same place. I feel like Nancy would be able to come at them with sighted powers. I feel like Nancy would be like, I don't need you fucking boomers. <laughs> and like, just kind of like turn them into stone or something. I don't know. Like, I don't feel yeah. like she would be receptive to their mentorship. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm not saying it's smart for Nancy to inhabit the power of Minot, but I do think the power of Minot would help her beat these witches. Nancy it is. All right. The last round... We have the finalists for the Sleep Demon Division. We have Freddy Krueger versus Krampus. Okay. So we talked about Freddy being able to inhabit the waking world as well as the dream world. But Krampus, I feel like, favors more the waking world to the dream world. There is that element of, is he real or is he not real? But I don't know if that means anything. Also, they're both able to manipulate their surroundings and make other things do their bidding. So like, part of me loves this matchup so much because you have the Jack in the Box worm. And we also know that Freddy has taken the form of a worm. That's correct. That is so So you have the Freddy worm, which we see in Nightmare 3. And then you have like the Jack in the Box worm. So it's like, I feel like everything that Krampus could throw at Freddy, Freddy has an answer to it. Yeah, it does feel like they're really brilliantly matched in that way. Freddy has all these weird things he can do, all of those weird animals that he can (laughs) make do his bidding. But Krampus also has gingerbread men and other mean toys. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Krampus has a lot of things on his side, Freddy is also powerful enough where he has other things and powers on his side too. Like I feel like they're both pretty evenly matched in that way. 
It's also that like Freddy can conform to whatever it is you're afraid of. He is a mask almost. Like he can turn into whatever you need him to be for you to be afraid of him. I think about in Nightmare 3 where he makes, I forget her name, I think her name is Jen, her track marks on her arms turn into mouths oh, and shit like awful. that because she was a drug addict. Like he's very much able to contort himself into whatever the other person needs in order to be terrifying. But for Krampus, what is that? Is that just good children? Is that Santa Claus? Yeah, we already kind of agreed that Krampus doesn't really seem phased by regular emotions. Exactly. Which might put Freddy at a disadvantage. It might, for sure. So if we're picturing them fighting, first we know that physically Freddy has knives for fingers and he can shapeshift. Krampus has some other things on his side and he's also massive and strong. Like even though Freddy might have the advantage of a weapon on his hands, like Krampus is huge and could probably take Freddy on. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. In future sequels, you see him grow to, like, ten times his size. Oh, and, like, so like, he can do that. He can do that. There's literally, like, a super Freddy in, like, the fourth oh or God, fifth stop. one. That's just, like, he's a roided out Freddy and looks fucking stupid. But, Are like, you that's serious? It. It's in his arsenal, yes. I'm serious. It's a roided out Freddy. <laughs> a roided out Freddy. But, like, it's in his arsenal. Like, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. And part of me is looking at their lasting impact. Like, Krampus is good for, what, a week in December? But Freddy can terrorize you whenever. Krampus's impact seems to be maximized in the time that he's there. Here's another thing. Yeah. What can Krampus actually do? Can he kill people or does he just put them in an alternate reality in a snow globe? Which is what Freddy does. Kind of. Yes, but Freddy can kill people. You're right. We didn't really see Krampus kill anybody, just take them away. Yeah, like he can put them into an alternate reality, but we don't see him really kill anybody just because of the ending of the movie. Maybe he doesn't have that in his arsenal. Either he spits them right back out and makes them think it was all a bad dream and really he is a nice guy, or he just keeps them put away in a snow globe, which Freddy, if he can traverse dream and reality, he's never going to stay in that snow globe. Ah, he'll find a way out. I mean, he finds a way back every fucking movie, even though he's killed. Yeah. Freddy! Freddy! So now we're at the super fun part. We love a menage a trois. We love a menage a trois. (laughs) We have have two menage a trois to discuss. (laughs) Two threes by Britney Spears. So on one half of the bracket, we have a three-way brawl between Alexia from Raw... (laughs) Versus Adrian from The Invisible Man. Versus Nancy from The Craft. Alliances. We talked about this last time and that seemed to play a pretty pivotal role. Yeah. Alexia and Nancy. I agree. A hundred percent. They're teaming up because neither of them fuck with men. No. No. And also Adrian doesn't fuck with women. No. He doesn't think they're He likes to fuck with women. Yeah, but he doesn't doesn't fuck fuck with with women. women. Okay, so Alexia and Nancy, I think, immediately will take care of Adrian. Because even if Adrian could stand a chance against Alexia... Nancy's got her superpowers. She could make him visible again. Yeah, Nancy's Minot. Like, she could just be like, freeze that side of the room. A picture could just be stabbing the air until she finds him. She would just, like, freeze him, and then Alexia would eat him. Yeah. Be like, hey, girl, want a snack? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, bye, Adrian. Bye, Adrian. Bye-bye. Now, Nancy versus Alexia. Here's the thing. Alexia is ruthless, and if she could get close to Nancy, she'd eat her. But she probably can't get close to Nancy. I don't think she can get close to Nancy. 
And Nancy's not going to fall for Alexia's charm. I feel like they both have such a similar arsenal of charm. Like they would be good BFFs. Like they should be in the same coven. They'd also be frenemies though. They would. Because they both have a very similar flavor of power. I'm sensing some power dynamic struggles there. So it's Nancy? I think it's Nancy. I really do. I mean, she has the power of Minot. Like at this point, it's going to take a very strong person to face her beyond an invisibility suit. Okay. So the second half of the bracket, (laughs) the last menage a trois we have, which is just so gross being that we have two underage girls in Freddy Krueger. No, we have Megan versus Pearl versus Freddy Krueger. Talking alliances, Megan and Pearl would definitely team up against Freddy Krueger because Megan, maybe she would feel paired to Pearl. You're right. That would be like her friend to the end or something. Yeah. Here's a loophole with Megan. She can't dream. She can't dream. That's she's true. not a human being. That's a really fucking good point. I don't exactly know what her and Pearl would do. Like, would it be a Glenn protocol thing where Pearl would go to sleep and then like get Freddy into the waking world so that Megan could kill Freddy in the physical plane? I could see that happening. So if they're in a fight and they've all been summoned and they're just like all they're staring just at there. each other. Yeah. I feel like Megan could just kill Freddy. Or could she do some shit that she pulled with Candyman and like read about him and learn how to disarm him? Well, I'm trying to think of the ways that Freddy has been killed in the three movies. He's just been, I don't believe in you'd away <laughs> in the first one. Mm-hmm. He's been love bombed away in the second one because Lisa just tells Jesse that she loves him over and over again until he goes away. And then in the third one, what happens in the third one? Nancy dies. But then like, how does Freddy get vanquished? I don't remember. I don't remember either. Well, they're all very human emotions, it sounds like, which Megan isn't able to really do. And I would argue Pearl can't do either. Yeah. But if they paired together, I mean, can you kill Freddy? Can you like stab Freddy? I think maybe that's what happens in the third one is because remember the psychologist is in the present and he puts like holy water. Oh, yeah. His bones. They find his bones and they bury him. Right. Yeah. That is something that makes me feel like Megan's intellectual read up on this might be able to help with. She'd be able to find information on him, on the real person. And Pearl is someone to follow her dreams. <gasps> She's a star. She's a star. But is that something Freddy could fuck with? Like, that's the thing. He could certainly exploit those. I mean, if it was Freddy against Pearl, it would be Freddy. You're right. But it's Freddy against Pearl with Megan, which makes it a little different. Megan could tear Freddy apart physically and then probably bury his body. And that would be the end of it until the next movie. Yeah. So then we're talking about Megan versus Pearl. Which is very interesting. Because we kind of brought into the equation this idea of if Megan and Pearl go into an alliance, are she paired? Because that was Megan's weakness with Katie in the movie is that she was like, I'm going to protect you from all physical and whatever harm. But then Katie was able to turn on her and kill her in the end. But the reason Katie was able to do that was because of her aunt and her realizing something about, I don't know, her love for her aunt. Would Pearl do that? Would Pearl even know what Megan was? I mean, that's the thing. It comes from <laughs> such a different time. Maybe where... I'm like thinking about this too hard. I have to keep recentering myself on the fact that this is a physical brawl. Mm-hmm. So it's like Megan and Pearl facing off. It's Pearl with an axe against a robot. It's Megan. It's Megan. Okay. okay. It's Megan. Good. Okay, great. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Holy our final shit. Nancy from the craft versus Megan from Megan. 
two very young girls. Very young, with all the power, in different ways. I think it's just destined that the villain's marked madness champ is to be a young woman. Yeah, last year we had a young lady villain. Esther? This year, it looks like we're also going to have a young lady villain. But it's just a matter of, will it be Nancy or will it be Megan? Yeah, we have Nancy, who is a teenager with supernatural witchy powers. And then Megan, who is a supposed 10-year-old android with wisdom beyond her years and strength beyond her age. Yeah. Again, it's the magic versus science thing. I know. That we talked about last week. I know. And again, it's the question of like, Megan could like read up on witchcraft, but I feel like a lot of witchcraft- influence over it. Yeah. It's not like she could use it then. And it's like, Megan could beat somebody up, but could she even get close to Nancy? Like, couldn't Nancy just turn her off from 100 yards away? (laughs) I also think about Nancy- She walks on water, and when Megan gets splashed with water, she, like, fucking freezes up and turns off in the movie. Remember, like, when Gemma's fighting her? She has the power of the elements on her side, and Megan doesn't have all the elements on her side. No. I mean, she doesn't have any elements on her side. She just has science on her side, which, again, makes her very functional. But, like, I'm trying to think when she's at her most vicious. I mean, she's running on all fours after the kid in the woods. Yeah, like, she could do that. Like, she's physically intimidating, despite having the body of a 10-year-old. She can dance. She could certainly dance. I mean, they both very much operate off of manipulation, but because Nancy's too smart to trust another bitch, she's not going to look at Megan as somebody that she's going to join forces with, I don't think. No, I don't think so. And Megan, we see her possibly being able to infiltrate other technology, like the little Alexa-esque home device and the car. But if this is a fist fight, like if this is just body to body... It's not like she can possess other robots. Like, exactly. It's not like she's going to control Bruce or anything like that. Yeah, or other people. Like, I, I don't think she could have any influence over Nancy like Nancy might have over her as a witch. Nancy can, like, lift shit up and throw it at her. Yeah. Megan can't even do that. I mean, she could infiltrate technology, but I don't think she could do it to the point of telekinesis. <laughs> like, I could throw this car at you because I'm inside of the switchboard. No. <laughs> no. I don't think she could do that. But the only reason that Nancy's defeated is because Sarah's a better witch than her. Yeah. Like, Sarah's able to, like, take her power back and is able to stop that level of power. But, like, Megan wouldn't cause that level of reverse with her. So now I'm also thinking, too, like, I'm thinking back to the scene with Sarah and Nancy. Nancy and her overt aggression. A lot of it is manipulation type. Like, I'm going to pretend that your parents died in a plane crash. I'm going to make your house be full of worms. So a lot of it is fear factor. And Megan's not going to have a reaction to that. Physically, we see her being able to put certain spells on things, change her shape, throw dressers across the room. But Megan is also quick. She could dodge the dresser. Nancy can only work so fast with her magic. Would Megan be quick enough to get to her first physically and like swing? Do you know what I mean? And does Nancy's magic have sway over physical objects in the same way that physical magic might? I'm thinking she's able to like stop Sarah in her place or whatever like that. Can she stop the inner workings of a robot? Like is Megan seen as an object or is she seen as like indeceptible because she's not a person that can be manipulated in the same way that a human can by magic? That's a really compelling point that I hadn't thought about. Me either, not till now. I honestly don't even know how that's supposed to work. Would the vibes of magic just stop outside of the machine because it's not like being able to be perceived and influenced because it's not a being of nature? Because that's what magic is. It's like changing nature. Yeah, but she could still throw a dresser. No, she could still throw a dresser, but is that going to hurt Megan? No. 
No, you're right. That's not going to hurt Megan. It's not going to hurt Megan. So would it just be a matter of like Nancy just throwing all of these vibes and dressers and shit at Megan and Megan just being like, yeah, and just like dodging them or like breaking through them until she can get to Nancy and kill her. So Nancy can change form. Was she able to do anything with the weather? Like, wasn't she able to like call down the lightning? Could she just like call down the lightning and well, Sarah definitely does it at one point. But the reason that we think that she's able to do that is because Nancy was once able to do that. Because she stole Nancy's powers. And Sarah is also more contained and controlled. Like, she wasn't consumed with pride like Nancy was. Like, she was able, it seems like, to be more of a master of the art. Nancy, you know, her flaw really is this kind of pride aspect. Which Megan might be able to exploit if Nancy doesn't, you know, have harness of her power enough to fend Megan off, like Megan could get to her. I feel like it's honestly a matter of could Nancy keep Megan away long enough or like use her power somehow to like break through her circuit board? Or is it just a matter of time before Megan can dodge enough to get to her first? I feel like Megan, based on what we see in the movie, would be able to say, like, what's a witch without her coven? No one supports you. (laughs) Like, she would be able to kind of be manipulative and upset her to the point where Nancy either lets her guard down or gets too hysterical and Megan could just rip her fucking head off. That's a really good point. Yeah, you're right. Because Nancy is still a human and she is still insecure and she would be susceptible to that kind of thing. Nancy's very insecure. She's very insecure. Like, that's her one weakness is that she's still looking for Skeet's attention. I don't know his name. I think his name's Chris. Mm. Chris's attention and all that kind of stuff. And she's jealous and i feel like megan might be able to exploit that a little bit more because again megan's not gonna get her feelings hurt and if a dresser gets thrown at megan okay and (laughs) yeah agreed so do we have it i think we have it (laughs) megan she's hard to beat she's really hard. she really like she came into this year and she's like mine i mean how can you compete with her you can't really compete with her wow what a fight we did it. We did do it. Megan is our 2023 Villains March Madness champion. I think her versus Esther would still be a fun fucking fight. I don't think Esther would go down without it a It would fight. be so fun. What is up with these young women? Young, like 10-year-olds <laughs> just <laughs> dominating the field. I love that, though. It's awesome. It's amazing. So thank you for joining us in our second installment of March Madness. If you would like to keep up with us and what we cover this year to include on our next year's March Madness, please follow us on Instagram at The Horrors Podcast. And if you want to get in touch with us at all with any recommendations, things like that, feel free to email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're The Horrors. Bye. Bye.